This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Spooked yet? I... Halfway through. Halfway through. You been spooked yet? Carrie was pretty spooky. Carrie was, was conf- spooky. I was too confused about the the uh, Margaritaville thing to be truly spooked by it. I guess I was spooked by how little I understood what was going on. Yeah, I think I the was. The unknown kinda... is is the scariest thing. I think. I think authoritarianism is the real spook in that book. Uh, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. Hi, I'm Andrew. And we are into Spooktober. Uh, as you know, we are talking about scary books or books with supernatural spooky elements. All month long. All month long. You can't oh, stop us noise. even if you wanted to. And why mm. would you, though? Because the books why are so good. To? So yeah, I got my like my 90th pumpkin beer of the month here, just mm-hmm. fizzing away on my desk, and I'm ready to hear about a spooky book that you read, so what did you do? I Tell read uh, Say Cheese and Die! Exclamation <laughs> point by R.L. Stein, <laughs> Which is the worst name. Well, okay, it's the second worst name for any book. The worst name belongs to the sequel, which is literally Say Cheese and Die! M-Dash again! Yeah. Exclamation point. <laughs> I kind of like this title, actually. Say I'm, cheese and die. I'm here to to stand for say cheese and die as a, as a title. I don't, um, I can't vouch for the Goosebumps Horrorland book. Say cheese and die screaming, right? Which is related to this book, but not in the same universe. Not like the, yes. say cheese and die again is same characters. Same, same characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is our first proper Goosebumps book on the show. Uh, like yeah, so main canon, we have um, we've done it. It's the fourth Goosebumps book overall in the original publication order. Yeah, I think oh, if sure. The, if it was reissued, I'm not sure what the number is in that. Uh, but, um, oh yeah, I don't remember. I just I because I have the reissue and I don't remember what number it claims to be. But it doesn't say like on the spine or the cover or anything. It is eighth in the list on okay. on the page of Goosebumps books. All right. So. Um. I, yeah, I remember liking this one a lot. I haven't read it since I was an appropriate age, I don't think. but Seven to 12, seven when you were 12. seven to 12. Um, but yeah, so we've read a Fear Street book. We've read one of the Give Yourself Goosebumps, like Choose Your Own Adventure style yes. books. But this is our first actual Goosebump. <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> so I was there are a couple of, we've talked about R.L. Stein before. He was born in 1943. He's known to us and to fans of the show as jo- Jovial Bob Stein uh-huh. because that's a name he used on some very early humor books that he wrote. And sure. So he just, that's just a good name is Jovial Bob Stein. Um, and yeah, he's he's known mostly for these long running series of kids and like young adult horror books. Yes. 
Um, there are a couple interviews with him. I think we talked about them on the in the Fear Street episode a little bit, but but around I think when the Goosebumps movie came out a few years ago, yeah, yeah. he did an interview with the Verge. He did an interview with uh, HuffPo, and I wanted to just like focus on what the difference is between um, Goosebumps and Fear Street, and and he says according to him. The difference lies in the types of, of spooks he's trying to elicit. Interesting. Okay. Um, he, so he says to, to HuffPo, I'm very careful in Goosebumps. I have to make the kids know that what's happening in the book couldn't really happen. That's just a fantasy. And then when I write a Fear Street book or an adult book, I have to make people think it could happen. It's kind of the opposite. What? You must, you maniac. So he's yeah, he's just saying in goosebumps like I want I want to spook kids, but I don't want them to be like he, spooked yes. in the real world about. It. I don't want them to go to bed like worried that this stuff is really going to happen to them. That's fair. I did see, but it. in Fear Street, it's like what if your dad stabbed himself with a knife? Yeah. What if your new the sink like that's a real thing? What if your happen. new boyfriend shoved his hand down your garbage disposal? That could really I'm, happen. Listen, man, I worry about having anything anywhere near the garbage disposal i did see an interview uh he gave in the strand magazine around probably the same time where he was talking about when goosebumps first premiered in 92 his wife and a partner of hers ran parachute press i think it's called is that the organization um i don't know there is it yes parachute press it's your anecdote no 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 no. probably know all the stuff about it. parachute press is the ones that um helped him develop the series and then scholastic went on to publish it um Uh but he was kind of urged he said actually i have to tell you i didn't want to do goosebumps i was afraid it would mess up my fear street audience it would be too young no one had ever done a series of scary books for seven to twelve year olds and i thought it was too risky uh, yeah, I think that might just be because he doesn't know. You don't know what the, how much spook to put into the book. Yeah, you know you don't want to over overcook he, it. I think he figured it out. And um, one interesting thing that I found in the in the Verge interview that he that he gave was that his wife is his editor, mm. and there have been cases. Now I'm thinking specifically of the Wheel of Time books. There have been cases when I think that having a spouse as an editor gives you kind of free reign to do a bunch of dumb stuff that a more <laughs> stringent editor would never let you do. Sure. But R.L. Stein's wife, whose name I don't actually know. Do you can you look that up? Yeah, know, real quick. To, um, um Jane Waldhorn. Okay, cool. Yeah, she so he says, um we were both at Scholastic for many years. She was actually my boss for four years there. That was not great. Um <laughs> I got lousy raises. She'd be embarrassed to give me a really good raise since we were married, so I got very bad raises. Yeah, being married to your editor is basically a nightmare. <laughs> okay. But yeah, she uh, she was apparently pretty rough on him sometimes. Like, she wanted to make sure he was doing good work. I mean, who he's churning out these books at a pretty quick pace. You gotta make sure that they're good. Yeah. It, in 1996, Goosebumps accounted for 15% of Scholastic's annual revenue, Andrew. That's a lot. That's a, a lot, lot of revenue. That's a lot. Um, what's the harshest criticism she's put on an outline the interviewer asks of, of Jovial Bob Stein? I don't even have to think about that. I got a manuscript back once, and up at the top were two words. It said psychotic ramblings. That was it, psychotic ramblings. <laughs> she's a very tough editor. She's really smart. She's just too good, too good an editor. You don't want an editor that good. I don't get away with anything. I always say she's like a hockey goalie. Nothing gets past her. Oh, man. I mean, that's an ideal hockey goalie, I guess. Yes, that's the um, best hockey goalie. 
So other things to know about Say Cheese and Die. So like we mentioned, Say Cheese and Die again, a direct sequel, and then a loosely related spinoff in the Goosebumps Horrorland series that came out in the mid to late 2000s called Say Cheese and Die Screaming, which is about like an evil camera that also does bad stuff. It's about the same evil camera, Andrew. It's just... I don't know that else. it's literally the same um, evil camera, but it I is will... definitely an evil camera that does the same kind of thing. Would you like um, to know that in the back of this book, there is a thing called the Fright Gallery, and it is okay. basically a D&D monster entry. I did read about this. And for the different this camera. Items all have stats and stuff and it, that you need to know about. Now, I will skip over its origin story because that will spoil some of the book that I'm going to talk about later. But it does say special powers. The camera has the power to steal souls and is completely indestructible. Weaknesses. The camera cannot move on its own and cannot force anyone to find it and use it. (laughs) Its favorite phrase is cheese. And it was last seen in Goosebumps Horrorland 8, Say Cheese and Die Screaming. So it is... Um, oh, and it has stats, Andrew. Um, it's pretty strong. It's not that intelligent. It's not... Well, the, so I read about these stats. And yes. my favorite of all the stats, and these are all rated on a 10-point scale, it does get a 10 out of 10 for evil. <laughs> and, a, and a 1 out of 10 for humor. This camera's not right, very it's not funny. It's not a funny camera. <laughs> But so in Say Cheese and Die Screaming, I read the synopsis of it and I guess like the character works to like beat the camera. Like if she if she can if she can make one of its pictures not come true by like sheer force of will, oh. then I guess the camera is defeated. Interesting. And so she tries to destroy it, but the, and by taking a picture of her holding the camera in the mirror to show something bad happening to the camera, but the picture just shows two cameras oh, and no. now there's two evil cameras. So. Um, the other other fun fact is both of the original Say Cheese and Die books were adapted to be episodes of the Goosebumps television series. Oh, the fun. first one in the first season and the third one in the third season. And guess who plays the main character, Greg, in the first episode like the the two episodes they use different cast but guess who plays greg in say cheese and die the tv episode like topher grace ryan gosling what (laughs) he he was um stein said in one of these interviews that they basically used every canadian kid they could find for this tv series and yeah ryan gosling was also in the mickey mouse club and he appeared in an episode of are you afraid of the dark which i don't i don't know which i knew that i just that was another canadian like children's horror series (laughs) which i didn't know that tv could sustain that many of those but there were two and ryan gosling did them both I'm so glad that he's version of an egot <laughs> so much to our cultural canon. Um, well, let me go. I'm going to go read about Ryan Gosling's uh, childhood acting career, and we'll take a quick mm-hmm. break, and I'll come okay. and tell you about this book. Sounds great. Craig, I'm loving this weather right now. It's pretty it's like, nice. It's like 55 or 60 degrees. You, you have a jacket, but you don't need to bundle up. Yep. It's mm-hmm. getting dark at just the right time. But, you know, it, it it is a little bit chilly. And so that's why I like to wear a nice sock. Ooh, Keep myself warm. I would like a, a nice sock. How could I get one? You can get one from our pals and sponsors at Bombas Socks. Ooh. Bombas.com. Um, they 
are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet, which, listen, that sounds like a grandiose claim, but I am willing to stake our reputation on it. I sure. think it, I think they got it right. Um, they have totally re-engineered socks with comfort innovations that add up to one way more comfortable pair of socks. Two years of research and development led to multiple improvements of the sock design, performance, and comfort. They've got an arch support system. It's got a cushioned footbed reinforced for comfort without added bulkiness. And it's got stay-up technology, which, hey, any of us could use that, right? Hey. 133 tension levels were tested to find the perfect tension that's comfortable, stays in place while not being too loose, and never leaves a mark. So, yeah, they sent us both pairs of these socks, and dang, they did go up on my sock list to the top. They're the very, at the top, top of the sock list right now. What would you say these socks feel like, Andrew? They feel like a hug for your foot. Yeah, foot hugs. I'm not sure what we said last time. So you didn't I say that, it. I don't think. Okay. <laughs> feels like your foot is being hugged 100% of the time. So uh, listeners of Overdue can go to bombas.com slash overdue to get 20% off their first order. It's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash overdue to get 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash overdue. Use the code overdue. 20% off some very comfy autumnal socks. Another thing that you can do in autumn, Andrew, is brush up on your writing and reading skills. So I feel like I do that. Yeah, but what a if. Lot, you, just for the show. But what if you wanted to go to a nice place where you would feel like nurtured as you learn? So I want to tell you about Blue Stoop which is one of our Patreon supporters, actually. Blue Stoop is a new hub for Literary Philly. Uh, their mission is to support and nurture writers and readers from all walks of life who live in greater Philadelphia. And to this end, they offer rigorous craft classes for early career writers, a robust reading series of events that take place throughout the city, and monthly community-building happy hours. Uh, Blue Stoop's dream is to one day have their own physical space for the lit community to call home, so you can join them by uh, supporting our work with a small monthly donation on Patreon or sign up for more information at bluestoop.org. And I took a look at some of the workshops that they have coming up uh, or on offer this fall. They had a What Makes a Memoir class on putting your personal narrative into your storytelling. They had an Identity in Poetry class and an innovating fiction class on non-traditional elements and forms. So you'll do like reading and then do some writing in in a bunch of those. So yeah, you should go and check out uh, bluestoop.org. And thanks, Emma, for supporting the show. Say cheese and and die. die. (laughs) Craig, tell me about this evil camera. It's a evil camera that steals souls you don't know that right away when you start the book (laughs) okay so what do you know when you start the book (laughs) um uh you know that they are in a place and by they i mean a couple of kids um called pitt's landing and the opening of this book is just bored kids bored kids in summer um they literally say pitt's landing is the pits of course they do is Pitts Landing real? It sounds like a place that would be near Pittsburgh. I don't think it's real. It's in an okay. undetermined suburb. Yeah, of America. Stein is is big about like he he talks in some of those interviews about not he always wants to set all of his books in in a relatable sort of midwestern suburbia, which I guess like I find that relatable because that was my situation yeah it's more rural midwest but still it was relatable for me it feels like of a stranger things aesthetic of that kind of like 
everyone has small town, yeah. a, a house with a garage and a driveway and a front and backyard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got four kids. We've got Greg, uh, who's our protagonist. We've got Michael, uh, who has red hair, freckles, and later in the book wears a flowered Hawaiian shirt. Um, <laughs> we've got Cherie, who's always wearing an oversized top and Cherie? leggings. Cherie? Do you mean Sherry? Sherry? Yeah. S H A R I. Sherry. Yeah, I went to a went to high school with a girl named Sherry who'd spell it like that. Okay, let's go with Sherry. Yeah. Um, and Cherie. I don't know. And we've got a uh, Doug Bird, uh, who they call him Bird because he looks like a bird. He's got that's like cool, good nickname. Yeah. Kids are so cruel. And all I mentioned um, Michael's shirt because like every time we see Michael and Cherry, like that's what Stein gives us is like their, what their hair's up to and what shirt they're wearing. Which I guess, like, I have haven't forgotten kind of what kids them. would notice. Yeah. yeah, I haven't forgotten them. Um, and so they are faced with intense boredom. And after eliminating a couple of options, they decide to go into the spooky Kaufman house, which is the neighborhood creepy house. Did you have a neighborhood creepy house, Andrew? No, because we didn't really live in, like, were you too far? Huge neighborhood. Yeah, yeah okay. Know. We had one up the hill from us that I don't know why we thought it was creepy. Maybe it was just because it was far away. <laughs> like it was up <laughs> a really long driveway and uh-huh. it never had any lights on, but you just knew someone lived but there. But like, did people live in there? I think so. Hmm. I never met them, hmm. which makes it spookier. I guess there is like when we lived in in Mount Vernon, I was like twenty three years old, but there was <laughs> there was this giant like mansion on a hill. Oh yes, like, on a back road that you would drive by, and there were like lights there, but I never like I never saw anyone leave. I never saw anyone enter. I never saw anyone like mowing the lawn, even mm. though there was so much lawn. It's like, what's the deal with this house? It's a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. There's just like a fear of the unknown, a fear of a thing that should be safe. Like that's why homes are always so spooky in spooky books. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Kaufman house is abandoned and uh, no one lives there. So they're going to go there. They're going to get into some trouble, I guess. Um, And at the end of chapter one, we get a classic R.L. Stein cliffhanger. He loves to do these, these cliffhangers at the ends of chapters where, um, you know, they're walking up to the house and Greg hesitated and stared up at the house. A cold chill ran down his back. Before he could reply, a dark form leaped up from the shadows of the tall weeds and attacked him. And he Uh-oh. turned the page, and it was a dog that followed them. <laughs> Lot, lots of stuff like that happens. Got you, Greg. Throughout this book. Um, so they're creeping around the house, and they are worried about not running into a man named Spidey mm-hmm. that is known to the neighborhood. <laughs> As some sort of creepy drifter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spidey he was, was a, bitten by a radioactive spider. No, Spidey was a weird looking man of 50 or 60. They'd all seen lurking about town. He dressed entirely in black and crept along on long slender legs. He looked just like a black spider. So the kids all called him Spidey. <laughs> is this racist? <laughs> no, I think I don't think it is. He's just wearing. He looks like a. He just he wears black. Yes, all the he time, wears black so they all call the time. Him Spidey? Okay. Yes, he's like a he's like a mime 
I guess. I will I'll allow it, but you're on thin ice, jovial Bob. <laughs> sure. Um so they go down, they're in this creepy house, they go into the basement. Um, they find all sorts of like hippie clothes to dress up in. If you went into a creepy house and you found a bunch of clothes, would you yeah, just start definitely I would put them on my body like too sweet, like put immediately. Them all on my body. Uh-huh. Like bell bottoms and tie dyed ties, I guess. And at one point, Sherry puts on a hat that's like a purple wide brim hat. And she's like, this is a bad hat, but bad in the good way because it's like bad like Michael Jackson. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Greg is wandering around. He sees all these tools. Um, He's like, oh, handyman must have lived here. That's interesting. (laughs) And he like, how do you know it wasn't some (laughs) suburban do it yourselfer who bought himself a bunch of tools and then never used them for anything? Like, you don't know he was handy. Made a note that if I was disappeared and someone went through my stuff using Greg's logic, I would be very handy. Like I have a yeah, bunch right. of tools I don't know what to do with. And this guy has a bunch of different little screwdriver kits that are all missing like three or four of the most important bits. Man, this guy has a lot of beer brewing material. He must do it all the time instead of one time a year and then complain he doesn't have time the rest of the year. Weird. That is weird. Spooky. It's spooky. Even. Um, so Greg opens like a vice that's like a secret compartment and he finds this old camera in it. Like he turns like a vice, like a bookcase on like a spooky bookcase shelf. Okay. Um, spooky bookcase. Yeah. And only after he finds this creepy camera, does R.L. Stein give you a paragraph where he's like, oh, by the way, Greg loves cameras. He daydreams (laughs) about traveling the world and taking cool photos. That feels like an editor's note. Like, what is this? Kid, what's this kid's motivation? Can you just like add a couple lines about this real quick? Yeah, because you're if you're the reader, you're like, why would you take this creepy camera from this creepy house? But oh wait, the reader needs to know that he's got this like George Bailey like love of traveling the globe. Yeah, I mean, we've already established that these people like will immediately start putting on whatever yes. weird <laughs> clothes that they find, True. whatever, regardless of what mites or chiggers might live within <laughs> so yeah they all have bed bugs now that's the first spooky part of the book right yeah that's very um, spooky so those are hard to get rid of once they're so embedded he has this uh spooky camera and he decides to just take a picture with it takes a picture of his friend michael who's standing on the stairs and it's like a polaroid and a, a, a undeveloped photo comes out and uh, just as he is about to look at what's on the photo, Michael falls off the stairs. Like the banister gives way. He literally yells no as he falls off the stairs <laughs> and like sprains his ankle. And then they hear banging upstairs, which is like Spidey arriving. So they have to get him out of there. And by the time they run away, his ankle's feeling better. And they're like, oh, what did the photo look like? And it's him falling. But Michael, of course, is like, wait, but. I was posing like a cool dude when you took the photo. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And then they all go home because they're kids and it's dinner time. <laughs> right. Yeah. They all have to go back to their parents' house and their parents get to be like politely oblivious of the eldritch horrors that yes. their kids are all digging up all over the neighborhood. Uh-huh. And we get to the second picture um, where Greg comes home and he sees a new Ford Taurus station wagon in the driveway. Whoa. And he is so pumped that his dad finally got their new family car that he literally goes inside it and smells it and is like, oh, yeah, that new car smell. Boy. That is the... 
Just the every every kid just loves a four door sedan. Oh, dad, <laughs> like, you got the station nice job, wagon. dad. And he takes a photo of it. He says to himself, "Oh, I want to make sure I remember this." car when it was new like which is already sort of like a weird foreshadowing like what are you going to do to this car kid i do remember being kind of excited when my mom and dad got their first dodge caravan Mm -hmm. which was an absolute lemon garbage (laughs) pail of a car but it meant that my brother and sister and i did not need to sit like all three next to each other in the backseat of of whatever dodge whatever it was that my parents were driving i have fine fond memories of the the chevy suburban my mom got in middle school which Mm -hmm. was great because we could like fit like six people in the back and when we were like in fifth grade just like rolling around just going to like a wrestling match or something just punching (laughs) each other because we're kids The the car that my parents had before the caravan was one of the I don't even remember what it was but remember that period in like the late 80s and early 90s when your car would talk to you it'd be like don't forget your keys like they they had they both had one of those I think everyone saw Knight Rider and they were like I need that I need Kit in my car to tell me not to forget my keys well and also how to chase the bandits Lo and behold, Greg takes a photo of this sweet ride and um, <laughs> sweet Taurus again before he 2019 can. 2019 Ford Taurus gets 26 miles to the gallon on the highway, which oh, is God. a nightmare. <laughs> okay. Before he can look at the photo, his mom is like, "Yo, it's dinner time. Come inside." And he's like, "Oh, I gotta run up and hide my spooky camera in my bedroom." And he takes a look at the photo, and it's the car, but it's totaled. It's all wrecked. Mm-hmm. And he goes to dinner. His dad's talking talking about <laughs> sweet ride, and he's just like really upset. And his brother's like eating all of his food because he doesn't have any appetite. And at the end of dinner, dad's like, "Hey, we're all going to go for a ride in the new car now." And Greg doesn't want to. Can you everybody imagine? Get my, everybody get in my sensible, <laughs> my extremely sensible vehicle, and, and let's go for a at ride. At one point, his dad is like, "Greg, you were so excited about this car." It'll be good for you to get in the car and take a ride. I don't care if you feel sick. Let's go. And they get in the I'm car. Looking up a picture of what a 1993 Ford Taurus looked like, and it is not a car that a kid would get excited about. <laughs> <laughs> let, me just, let me just shoot you a link on one of these bad boys. I know we're spending a lot of time on this. Well, but it's an important I think part of important. the book. I think it's one of those rare cases where it's obvious that like a 40 year old man is writing it and he's like what do kids love oh yeah they love a ford taurus it's so good i forgot that it was that specific about the car it's really specific so they get in the car and uh greg's brother terry is very excited about the leg room um his mom is very excited (laughs) about a ford taurus write this she's very excited that it has a cup holder um dad really likes how it handles um and <laughs> and Greg hates it. And they go they're on the highway. I don't know how long it took them to get on the highway, but they get on the highway and Terry's like, "Yo dad, open it up. Like let's go. Put the yeah, pedal to the metal." It up. Let and me figure, let me just one second. Uh four speed automatic, just trying to see. Yep, uh-huh. The four a four cylinder engine. Yep. Very, like the <laughs> power. So Greg Greg's dad gets it up above 70 miles an hour. 
And <laughs> Which he is, is as fast as it goes. He is so excited. Now it's post dinner time, so he's like, "Oh, maybe I should put these lights on." Like, and he's like, "Greg, why aren't you having fun?" While he's like fumbling around trying to turn on his headlights, um, and they almost get hit by a truck. Almost. There's like a chapter break, um, and Greg's mom is like, "Hey, honey, slow down in your sweet new station wagon. Like, let's mm-hmm. go." Um, oh, actually, I do think that the this Taurus had a V six, so yeah, you would feel just feel the raw that power under the hood. all those horses. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and they so they go home, and Greg is shook, but he does feel like maybe it didn't come true because um, they were close to an accident, but they were spared. So he's like, "All right, I got to take another photo to test. I shouldn't take one of myself in the mirror because the the flash will ruin the photo." <laughs> Uh, so he goes and he takes one of his brother he does not show him the photo um, but it develops and it is not a photo of his brother in their house it is a photo of his brother out like near the playground looking very worried and sad and concerned so again Greg's like I don't know what the deal is what is this camera doing did something happen to the Taurus is that the kind of look on, on his face maybe we'll see so My the dad f- crashed his sensible station wagon. Oh, no. <laughs> the fourth picture takes place at Bird's baseball game, which Sherry and Greg go to even though he's really bad and his team is really bad. Uh-huh. Sherry snaps a photo of Bird and it develops and it's Bird like laying on the ground, his neck at an awkward angle, his eyes closed, like something happened to him, like he's Uh-oh. dead or hurt or something. And then the coach, there's lots of like adults yelling off screen and then they they can't process what just happened because they're looking, they're arguing over the photo and then a coach is like, time to play baseball, let's go! And Bird <laughs> runs away. And at this point, we get a little scene of Sherry and Greg doing like what a normal human would do, which is, hey... Uh, why do, does is there film in this camera? Can we pop it open? Um, is that does it have a brand name on it? Uh-huh. Like, and they're like, what kind of? Cam-? It doesn't. You can't open it. Um, there's no markings. Like at one point, they're like, what kind of camera doesn't have a name on it? Yeah, I guess like Kodak probably wouldn't want to be <laughs> responsible for the Goosebumps death camera. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> uh. So they don't know what the deal with this camera is. They're getting very agitated. Um, they hear Bird yell f- again from like off screen, essentially. And he is faking what the image was, which they're like, oh, you suck. You're making us worried. Um, mm-hmm. And then a chapter goes by of them watching his bad baseball game. And then he does get hit <laughs> in the head with a baseball Whoops. and falls down and looks exactly like the photo, uh, which that's dangerous. Like people have died that way. And it is kind of the book does not give any lasting consequences to bird getting hit in the head with like a base does not get concussed or anything? no we see him like a few days later and he's like no nope, i'm fine burp, 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 chicken, burp. like he does like <laughs> he like does cluck like a chicken sometimes in the book it's very, he's a weird character it's he's, a weird he's a weird kid yeah I, I, I appreciate i guess that he's leaning into the bird thing because yes. The most dignified thing you can do with a nickname like that is just lean into it and wait it out. Yeah, and he's so it's yes, good that he's true. figured that out. And I he's guess. he's rolled it into his persona of like the group's clown as well. So you know, maybe in ten years he will look back and like wish he'd handled it differently. I don't know. 
Um, but before Greg and Sherry can unpack what has happened to Bird, um, we see the the like coming to fruit of the picture of his brother Terry. Terry is running onto the field. He has that face that he had in the photo, and he's like, "Yo, Greg, you're the worried face. Yo, Greg, there was a car accident. We gotta go." Um, so they run to the hospital, and of course, Dad has crashed the Taurus. No, uh, he was hit by another driver. He is okay, um, but he has like some broken ribs, and he's in a big cast. Um, and he didn't have car insurance. Reader, a- beware! You're in for a scare. No, he does have car insurance because the car is totaled, and he's like, oh, he has to like ask Greg's mom like what happened, and she's like, oh, the car was totaled. And he's like, oh, no, the insurance. And she's like, I'll call them later. Don't you worry. You uh-huh. total That would not happen in 2018. Like, you call the insurance if there is a witness that insurance gets called, like, on the spot. Mm-hmm. You don't get to the ER and get a cast on you without the insurance knowing. Right, so did he hit something or did something hit something him? Something hit like, him. Okay, Another right. driver was not looking. You so, got to at least exchange information with those people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to give uh, Jovial Bob a shout out on the the intro to this hospital section was like pretty real from a kid's point of view. He um, Greg is like going in and he's like obviously sick to his stomach. Like what happened to my dad? And all he can think about are like the colors of that he's seeing. Like he's like, oh, the walls are green, the white lights, the brown tiles on the floor. I'm not really taking in any information. All I'm taking in are these colors. Like it was. It does strongly evoke a hospital. Yeah. And I just had a flashback to a moment when I was a kid and my grandmother was in the hospital and like someone was trying to have a conversation with me. And all I could think about was like some like thing on the wall. Like I was Hmm. not like it just felt like a really solid little kid heightened moment. Um, But his dad is okay because. You know, Arl Stein doesn't want to spook you too much, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, he almost tells his mom about the scary camera, but it doesn't happen. And he leaves that whole scene wondering, does the camera tell the future or cause the future? That's the thing. Yeah. Right. So another another fact that I did not mention when we were talking about the book originally is that Stein got like was inspired, I guess. And, and this isn't the first time this has happened like he's a fan of like classic horror oh okay stuff but it was inspired by a twilight zone episode called um a most unusual camera Ooh, (laughs) which is a it's about a camera that shows the future like like a few minutes ahead of time um but it doesn't appear to be causing like it's uh, again it's not 100% always clear like whether the camera is causing events or just foretelling them but it comes down a little more forcefully on the side of just like foretelling them okay. and maybe those events are a little bit worse because the camera is there like everybody does die at the end but <laughs> <laughs> okay but uh yeah so it's it's what where does this the, does the book ever come down decisively the, on Evil camera or prophetic camera that just captures a string of bad luck the for this book does, happy Taurus owning family. It does build towards there being a cause and effect. Um, so moving forward, the only person who really seems bothered by the camera is Greg. Obviously, like uh, Sherry knows that it's a bad deal, but she is like, "Hey, bring it to my birthday party." 
They're all, yeah, as I recall, everybody, every non-Greg character is very cavalier about <laughs> yeah. this camera. Like, why would you chance it? He tells her about a nightmare he had, and this is where I think one of the like um, covers of this book has come from, where his like family's having a barbecue, and he took their photo, and it came out, and they were all skeletons. Yeah, that's the original cover yeah. of Say Cheese and yeah. Die. It's very good. And she's like, that's a cool dream. Bring your murder camera to my birthday party, please. <laughs> and... um. So Bird and Michael are there. They're fine, I guess. And uh, Sherry's like, oh, all my, you know, you are my friends who are boys. And then I'm going to have nine friends who are girls come over. And the boys are like, oh, these girls, it'll be embarrassing. We're going to have to play truth and dare or something. And the only only (laughs) thing that 12 year olds (laughs) do when they get together is like spin the bottle, truth or dare. They two acceptable options. So uh, Sherry's plan was to like have everyone take a murder portrait. um, And she's like, I'll go first. Let me stand in front of this tree. And when they take her photo, she's not in the photo. Everything else (gasps) is there, but she's not in it. And they Mm -hmm. take a couple to test and they all come out the same. And, they play through the dare in the woods because Sherry's like, well, this camera's broken, so screw this. And when her mom calls them back in, she's like, oh, I must be a terrible mom for telling you all to go play in the woods, but dinner's ready. Come on in. <laughs> and Sherry is nowhere to be found. <gasps> and the cops show up, and it's really kind of sad. And he tries to tell a cop, and a cop gives him a weird look. And I thought the cop was going to be in on it, but I think the cop was just kind of weirded out by kid yeah, telling him I, about a magic I, camera i can't think of an instance where an adult was like in on the goosebump mm. like where they where they weren't just obli- like go away kids what are you talking about it's a, it's a very in the, in that way it's very a very kid kids booky yes kind of thing there's no adult in, in on it helping yeah them. in children's fiction or like middle school fiction i guess there's like the kids are always very empowered and also like the only people who can do anything yes, about it and yes. of course that's the way it is why wouldn't that be the way it is? <laughs> that's true of course 12 year olds have the run of the place like they're the only ones who know what's really going on yes um so we have like a couple incidents happen greg goes home um he finds his whole room has been ransacked someone came in and looked for the camera and of course, he knows it was Spidey. He just knows and it in his know heart. No, it wasn't the camera because it doesn't have a very good movement. That's score. true. That's very the, true. On the, on the its character sheet, it does have an attack strength of like six. That's not bad. It's not bad. Um, it's like a solid yeah. cleric score. Or yes, something. yes, good with a mace. You know, um, <laughs> and so Greg is right freaked out that that Spidey ransacked his room looking for the camera. We get a little interlude where he uh, he and his friends get accosted by some street toughs named Joey and Mickey who try mm-hmm. to steal the camera from them but don't succeed. And Greg takes has a photo taken of him where Sherry is in it, but he doesn't know like she's not she's still not back. Mm-hmm. So that's spooky. And he has a little tantrum where he is just so freaked out he rips up the photo of him and he rips up the photo that sherry is supposed to be in but not and then two hours later he gets a phone call from sherry <gasps> so maybe so this, by- is another, this is another question i got <laughs> yeah. is that there there are definitely photos that show people having suffered grievous physical harm or like just died just like straight up died 
if you rip those up, do they undie, or, or is it just like like she was disappeared in a very like non-specific way? Yes, it's un it's unclear. It doesn't. Like would, it doesn't. Would say. Michael have not like fallen through the banister if they tore that picture up? Well, but it happened so fast, so you, I don't know if he had if he had torn up the uh, tourist photo. Maybe that certainly if he'd torn it up, it wouldn't happen. But does it? Undo the implication it? here is that tearing it up undoes something that has already happened. That is that is un that is unclear. Um, it is also feels like the the Greg could easily rip up the, Rex the rest car of picture yeah, to yeah, yeah, see yeah. if it would. Yeah, like that that one in particular feels like if you wanted to do a scientific sort of test <laughs> of this evil camera. So and Sherry, when she comes back, she doesn't know where she was. Like she, it's she was in the woods and then she was outside of her house, and it was two days later. Oof, sounds like spring break. Am I right? <laughs> so. <laughs> She and she's all like freaked out because she has to explain to the cops like what happened to her. She knows it was the camera, but she doesn't know what happened. So she's just like, I dis- I don't know. I got lost. So she's bought into the evil camera yes. story now. OK, so she teams up with Greg to go back to the Kaufman house. Greg's like, we got to put this camera back. Spidey's coming for it. And it, it made you disappear. So we got to go. Mm-hmm. They go into the house. They put the camera back, but they get caught by Spidey. Oh. <gasps> And so when you said that adults... I keep gasping just whenever I sense a chapter ending. <laughs> uh, now, when you when you uh, mentioned that adults aren't in on it, that doesn't, I don't think, preclu- it doesn't preclude bad adults. Yeah, sometimes there are bad adults and sometimes there are adults. Like, there, there's one um, called the Night and Terror Tower, I think, that has, like, time travel elements. And oh, there's yeah. Some adults involved in that, but... but if 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 it's just like a typical bumbling parent, that those are the people who are never ever in on it. Yes. And like similar for for other authority figures like cops or teachers or whatever. So here's the deal with Spidey, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And this was like kind of wild. <laughs> They're like, "What's the deal with the camera?" He starts monologuing at them, and he says, "My name is Doctor Fritz Fredericks." And Good name. My Solid name. My partner, my lab partner, invented the camera, and it was so wonderful that I stole it and the plans for it. So then his partner, who was, and this is a direct quote, a master of the dark arts, cursed the camera. Voldemort, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, cursed the camera so that now it steals souls and cannot be destroyed. Now, so this to me is a big question what was so good about the camera in the first place yeah like if it's so if it's not evil then what is it doing do you take a picture of somebody with it and they're like holding an ice cream cone and it makes that happen like is that yes was was it a good camera it's unclear because frederick says that but if he's a master of the dark arts then why would he make a good camera also unclear Hmm. so yeah he doesn't come right out and say that my my partner made a soul stealing camera he says my partner made a dope camera i tried to steal it and my partner cursed it so then yeah, i really feel like i need to hear the other side of it like what is what <laughs> is to take Fritz this to frederick's court. not telling us yeah <laughs> maybe he can't maybe it's still in litigation so he can't comment i signed an nda yeah. at the evil camera factory <laughs> <laughs> uh so it ruined his life 
Um, I think it stole the souls, and that's um, the the implication is that what it did to Sherry was it actually just stole her soul, which is why. But then she you rip up the picture and she's back. Like, didn't he figure it out? Like, rip up the picture, Spidey. Yeah, it's, uh, get your life back. I don't know. And um, they're like, okay, well, great, we gave you your evil camera. Can we leave? And he's like, nah, because you might tell people. So then there's like a beat where maybe he's just gonna trap them in the basement with him. But then he picks up the typical camera. goosebumps. I know, like probably like two thirds of all goosebumps books take place <laughs> in a basement somewhere. Uh, but then he's clearly going to like kill them with this camera or something. Um, there's a struggle. They take his photo and he dies. And then they call the cops and just say they found him down there. So, <laughs> if you take a picture of someone with an evil camera and it shows them dead. Would you be convicted of murder? That's like, did you do it or did the camera do it? Because <laughs> oh, the camera can't snap its own shutter button. Well, you know? yeah, the camera lobby will tell you, Andrew, mm-hmm. that cameras don't kill people. The <laughs> people with cameras kill people. Yeah. <laughs> it's really spooky how much money is involved in politics these days. Yeah, that's it, really dark money. I'm like, it's dark arts stuff. money. Like, they did kill him, though, right? They took his photo. The, the like they're well, going to be okay. tried as adults. No, they're this, not. No, no, they did not. Photography crime. That uh, they let did. me put on my Sarah Koenig uh, crime analysis hat. They okay. were in a struggle over the camera, and the camera uh-huh. went off. Uh huh. And when the when the film developed, um, they saw that it was his face frozen in horror, and they looked on the ground, and he had he was dead from presumably cardiac arrest is what the cops okay. said right. they did not like rip the camera from his hands point it at him and go haha though that would have been in self-defense i think okay so this sounds more like i guess like camera manslaughter than camera murder <laughs> yes to be perfectly blunt <laughs> uh I just find it crazy that they called the cops and the cops were like, well, yeah, you found a dead drifter in here in this abandoned house, huh? Yeah. So you're going to get charged with B&E. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, we do get a debrief scene with uh, Greg and Sherry telling the story to Mickey and, um, and Bird. And Mickey literally says, I can't believe one old camera could do so much evil. <laughs> you got that right mickey you got that right um or is it mickey is it michael michael's his name because whatever it doesn't well matter. the reason that it matters is because i think the street tough's name might be mickey oh the street yeah you that's right the street tough's name um, is mickey because they both had these like the names of like characters from newsies or yeah. something like, hey mickey and one of them is like one of them might be hey a- mickey i think he's got an evil camera hey we're gonna beat him up and take his camera they're like hey, the- i'm walking i'm walking here i um, got an evil camera they actually perfectly fit the descriptions of the two thugs from what's the movie with bet midler the witches um, oh, uh, Hocus Pocus! Hocus Pocus. That was on TV the other day. It's like their exact. Of course, it was. I'm replicas. sure Laura. You're, I'm sure Laura watched it and had said all the words to all the. She smiled everything. a big smile at me when it came yeah, she on. Did. Um, she loves that Hocus Pocus. So the book ends with a little, a little <laughs> sh- shot of the two street so to toughs um, l- going into the house and being like, "Oh, they didn't even see us when we followed them here." 
they're trying to keep that cr- that camera from us. Well, we'll uh-huh. show them, and it ends with them taking a photo, but you don't mm-hmm. see what it is. And it's not followed up on and say cheese and die again. No, Just say no. it is not. Just say no. No, I and I actually in researching, I realized I did read uh, say cheese and die again. You read the second one, but not the first I one? I didn't know. I got it in a book fair. It was available. You, you missed all this important information. <sighs> I don't, you know, what are you going to do? Um, it's a fun book. It doesn't, nobody gets hurt too bad except the bad guy, which well, seems Spidey reasonable. Well, literally dies. Yeah, that's a what I mean. A man died. Like, he didn't, I, I, you do petty theft. I don't think getting murdered by a camera is the, is your comeuppance. No, you know? that's, that's true. Um. I do just want to share a couple other things from the back of this book. So we talked about the Fright Gallery. Uh-huh. Um, there's a short interview with R.L. Stein where they ask him a couple questions about playing pranks, like scary pranks on, on each other as kids. And then they ask, uh, mad scientists seem to turn up in your books from time to time. Who or what inspired Dr. Fritz Fredericks? Are there more evil inventors that we should be on the lookout for? And R.L. Stein says, I don't want to give away any secrets, but let me say that there are some very scary scientists coming up in the next Horrorland books, including one who is hysterical. That's a hint. Like, I guess uh, he's, so a, he's like a snake, a snake, like a snake man, like a snake. I don't want to give away any secrets, but I'll go give you a hint. And then there's a whole. Or maybe it's just it's like Alger Hiss. Oh, yeah, maybe. It's, um, it's like a political thriller. Then there's a whole section called Haunted Machines. That is about um, various stories of haunted televisions and sewing machines, and that the word poltergeist comes from the German for rumble and ghost, and then it just says the word rumble ghost exclamation point. Rumble ghost. And then if you it- can guess my name, I disappear. <laughs> rumble ghost. And then it ends with, with that in mind, keep an eye on all of your appliances at home. Is that fridge growling? Did the microwave just burp? Was your toaster where you left it after breakfast this morning? Did the coffee machine just spit at you? While none of these kitchen appliances has ever reportedly been possessed or cursed, there's always a first. Yeah, sometimes my, my fridge's ice maker does make spooky sounds. Yeah, it sounds my fridge like it's makes digesting something. I just like that it. The book ends. That's a scarier thing to tell a kid than anything in this book. Well, that your fridge might be that haunted. your entire kitchen could be out to get you. <laughs> What's the modern day version of State Cheese and Die? Do you find like a haunted iPhone 5s in an old house somewhere, and it takes pictures, and then then bad stuff happens? Yeah, and it would like automatically post to a social media feed. That you yeah. wouldn't have control over, and then mm. that would like publicize what was happening to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Or it would apply Snapchat filters that then actually became real. Like now mm-hmm. you are a dog person with big anime eyes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> be, I'll never. Maybe it's because I'm a 32 year old man. I don't know. I'll never not find those pictures pretty creepy. <laughs> Maybe I don't, maybe modern say cheese and die is just Snapchat. It's just Snapchat filters. They're so eerie. And then the da- the dancing hot dog monster became real. I hate it. These kids are good kids. I I kind of like Greg and Greg and Sherry. I think and yeah, Greg. I like Greg and Sherry pretty well. They're like they seem to have a good friendship. Michael kind of takes a backseat after he falls off those stairs. 
Um, he's expendable. I believe in the in the TV episode that the the two extraneous friends are boiled down into one friend, sort of Game of yeah, Thrones. That would make style. Sense. That would <laughs> just like <laughs> condensing different storylines. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, and yeah, there wasn't any moment. This wasn't like Fear Street where I was like pretty actually creeped out by that book um oh yeah no the fear street books are much scarier and that's what that's what jovial bob was talking about is like you know the thrills and spills and kills and chills <laughs> in say cheese and die are not going to actually happen but fear street ooh, i do think if the, the the like the realest spooks in the book might actually be like the car crash stuff like this the chapter where greg's dad is like ripping it on the highway like putting all of their lives in danger. If that's ever a thing that you've dealt with, like I, I imagine that might be a little spooky, mm-hmm. like a real spook, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. I want to. Uh oh. Those those interviews with with R. L. Stein are both worth reading in their entirety because there are a lot of good nuggets in there. But this one about Fear Street struck me pretty funny. Okay. He said he says, "Of course, I always wonder why they don't move to Happy Street." <laughs> Oh my God, Bob! Like, why would you live on Fear Street, Bob? I mean, you, get, you get you get surprised when bad stuff happens to you. That's also he created Fear Street. If he yeah. said that's what a jerk thing for him to say. He made the dang street. He made the dang street, and then he made all the people who moved onto it. But he's like, yeah, why don't these? Why do these idiots move to such a, a <laughs> ominous sounding street? In a way, it's their fault that all this stuff happened to them. I want to hang out with Bob Stein. I think it would be fun. Yeah. Sometimes I I wish there was a a space in our format for author interviews. So I guess it's like our podcast. We can do literally whatever we want. But it's, I'm not sure how we would. Well, how we would do that Bob and also Stein, how, we would, how we would approach a 75 year old man and, and ask, like, <laughs> would you like to talk about goosebumps with us for 25 minutes for no money <laughs> please sir <laughs> jovial sir um well thanks for thanks for uh having me read this book andrew i know it's a classic i'm glad I it's did. a good one it's one of my more favorite ones like those those first four so when when he wrote goosebumps originally i think the first four were the series originally but like yes, before yeah. they took off yes and all four of them are pretty good. Like there's this one, there's um there's just like a haunted house one. The the best one of the four, I think, is the one where like a plant clone monster like Ooh. like body snatches the kid's dad, and that's pretty good. Ooh. I don't remember what the what the other one is, but they're they're all those are all classics. Okay. Well if we I don't know what I don't want to know what number they are in the reissue. Sure. Oh, look yeah, it up yeah. on look it up on the Wikipedia or the Goosebumps wiki, which is very thorough as <laughs> as usual for fan wikis. <laughs> if you, the listener, have a favorite Goosebumps book that you want to tell us about, please write us an email at overduepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at facebook.com slash overduepod or twitter.com slash overduepod. A lot of folks reaching out over the last few weeks about our previous Spooktober episodes. Uh, thanks so much uh, to you, including Megan, Cindy, Allegra, Michelle, Aaron, The Jude, Kira, Jamie, Kelly Lee, Jazz, Kimberly, Tia, Jennifer, uh, Bree, and many more. Um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about our show, where should they go? 
You can go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. You click those, you go to Amazon, you buy a book, and we get a little cut of it, and you get to read a book. So win-win. Um, we also have links up there to iTunes, um, Google Play, and RSS. And I just recently fixed our Google Play link so you can actually click it and go to the right page now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it got broken at some point, but it's not broken no more. Anyway, you click those, you subscribe. And you get new episodes of our podcast when they come out, mostly Monday, but sometimes other days when they're bonus episodes. Um, we also have a, a schedule of the books we're going to read for the rest of Spooktober and a new listener page you can use to uh, point new listeners to if, if you hey. want to know what episodes that we're happy with. Um, and also our Patreon projects. That's patreon.com slash pod. You heard an advertisement that someone paid for earlier. It could be your advertisement, or you could just give us some money and not get anything back out of it. I don't know. I'm not your boss. I don't tell you what to do with your money. I'm not your accountant. Craig, what am what's what? What's next? Next what's week. Next? What's what's gonna spook us next time? We will be hearing about Hex by Thomas Old Havelt. Um, we are going to be hearing from our friends Christina and Camille from the Unfriendly Black Hotties. They're going to tell us all about this spooky book that I think involves a witch. The Unfriendly Black Hotties is a podcast, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and they did one other episode with us about um, that Nicholas Sparks book. What was the name of oh, it? Oh, A Walk to Remember. A Walk to Remember, yeah. And people people really enjoy that episode. We're going to aim for better audio quality this time around, but I think it'll be it's going to be a good one. Yeah. So tune in for that next week. And that's it. Yeah, all right. Everybody, thanks for spooking out with us. And until we see you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast. I'm glad you enjoyed the car thing so much. I put it in my notes. I wasn't sure if it was going to. It's so specific. Like, it's not even a good car. <laughs> it could at least be like a, you know, a Stang or nope. something that a 12-year-old would think was cool. But, yeah, no one has ever been excited about a Taurus. I was just so excited because that it was new, I guess. I mean, that's real. Yeah. Though the dealerships know how to make a used car smell like a new car. That's so. rub all the new car lemons on it or whatever. <laughs> new car lemons? What? <clears throat> all right. Whenever you're ready. Yep. <laughs>